0: Two middle aged men in Cleveland, the ever famous, the former pitcher, Oral Hirschizer, and myself, Ken Dwarznik. <laughs> Ted, episode 86. It's Brian Brennan. It Brennan comes day tonight, long. Brian Brennan all day. Brian, Gary Collins, too. I forgot oh, about Gary okay. Collins. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good one. Dante yeah. Lavelli as well. Dante okay. Lavelli was 86. So All right. I got a few. Well, good stuff. It's been two weeks since I've seen you talk to you. Yeah. Actually, the break has probably been good for both of us. Let's be honest. (laughs) Um, But uh, we had something happen to us earlier this week, and I'll let you talk about it. When you sent this to me, I kind of fell off
1: my chair to an extent, but. Well, we unbelievable. We uh, there's a website called Let's Go Meet the Neighbors. It is a Cleveland based or Northeast Ohio based website. And they blog uh, every, oh, every 10 days or so, a couple times a month, once a month, twice a month. And the latest blog uh, is called 20 Local Podcasts to Listen If You Want to Meet More Clevelanders. Guess who number seven is? You and me, Ken. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland. That's
0: unreal. Yeah. That's unreal. That's great stuff. That is really great stuff.
1: Special thanks to uh, Brianna Zagotsky. It's I'm sorry. It's Get those Polish names right, please. Thank you. You want want to help me out there? Did I nail it? said it
0: right the last time. The last time. Zagotsky.
1: Zagotsky. Yeah. So it's Whatever. (laughs) So, Yeah. Maybe we won't be having heard the podcast. I don't know. But she'd probably come on and uh, talk to us. So uh, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting uh, website and uh, lots of good stuff about Cleveland. And uh, we're uh, honored and humbled to uh, have been uh, selected to be a part of it. Hundred
0: percent correct. And
1: I was interested. There's some other great podcasts
0: on there. I I, I
1: recommend people
0: check it out. There's hmm. some other great Cleveland podcasts to check out as well. And. uh, Support the Cleveland people. That's I, I'm I'm so glad we're part of that group because that when we started this way back when in 2019, episode one, our plan was to kind of talk about positive things, to not necessarily talk about the pandemic at the time, but talk about positive things going on and what a better way to do it and
1: talk about positive things in Cleveland. And we've been doing that. Yeah. For well, the most part. part is let's go meet the neighbors.com, all one big url there let's go meet the neighbors.com so yeah check it out good stuff excellent good work sir. exciting well let's let's tell you what's coming up on this week's show because we've got quite a bit the author of 14 books is going to join us she's 15 year old shante hershenson she's 15 and she's written 14 books ken i don't know if i've
0: i've read that many books
1: right Cleveland historian John Grabowski also here. He's going to talk about a famous Cleveland landmark on Euclid Avenue. and its heyday, the Cleveland Athletic Club was known as one of the places the elite meet to eat. We also have good news for a woman who purchased a lottery ticket she initially didn't want. In Klopp's clips, we have what may be the most bizarre excuse ever offered for getting out of jury duty. And of course, Ken has been out and about, and we will hear about some of the places he's visited.
0: Ted, time for our overachievers. A Colorado firefighter is a Guinness world record holder. Dylan Moralgia lifted a 193.2 pound Atlas stone 194 times in one hour. Let me read that again. Dylan lifted a 193 pound Atlas stone 194 times in one hour. Do you know how many times I could do that in one hour? Zero. As much as I could. Yes. We're not doing it. He said he was flipping through the Guinness Book of World Records. That's actually something I do quite often. It's yeah. you what's know, in there. Yeah. And he spotted a weightlifting challenge he couldn't resist. Lifting the 193.2-pound Atlas Stone 194 times in an hour is a grand total of 37,470 pounds. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. He beat the previous record by about 8,000 pounds and is now working toward breaking another Guinness World Record involving Turkish kettlebells. Maybe that's something we can go for. Yeah. I can play some bells. I can't really, well... Yeah. Silver bells, right? Is that what you do? You play silver bells?
1: Silver bells. Let's sing it. Yeah.
0: Well, congrats to our overachiever, Dylan Margalia, for lifting, God bless him, 193 pound Atlas, 194 times. That's an overachiever. Cleveland! This is for you! Another edition of Cleveland sports history. That means Dusty Sloan is joining us and Dusty. I know being a huge Browns fan, this is an interesting one. April 20th, 1945. I didn't think you remembered, but I imagine you did some research for us. The Cleveland Browns organization formed by Arthur Mickey McBride. Mm. Dusty, please update me. I don't know much. Tell me about Arthur Mickey McBride and how he formed the organization called the Cleveland Browns.
2: Well, the interesting thing about Mickey McBride is he kind of, we talked a couple of weeks ago about, um, Armo Down, and how he's a businessman. Well, Mickey McBride also was a businessman, real estate and cabs and things like that back in the thirties and forties. And, um, what happened was McBride founded the Browns and helped organize the old AAFC after he unsuccessfully tried to purchase the Cleveland Rams. And then we all know the mm. Cleveland Rams moved, moved out to Los Angeles which created the hole for the Cleveland Browns in the AAFC. Then McBride and organized promotes the team, hires Paul Brown, gets great players, and the rest of they say is history.
1: Hmm. Interesting, interesting. I uh, I think it's uh, somewhat unfortunate, given the way history has gone, that the guy's first name is Arthur, given <laughs> other Cleveland Browns owners. But nonetheless, now it's a prerequisite, uh, isn't it? Well, I guess. Now, the Cleveland Browns organization formed by Arthur Mickey McBride. Do you know, was the team when organized, did they start off with the name Browns or did that come later? Were they just a Cleveland football organization that needed a, needed a nickname? I'm not really sure on the timeline on all that, but
2: obviously we know the Browns named after Paul Brown. So I don't really know like was Brown on the same time that Mickey McBride was. But here's an interesting fact. Here's something else that Mickey McBride did. We all know that uh, we have practice squads now in the NFL. Well, back in the day, they were called taxi squads. Sure. And Mickey McBride was the one who named it that because he had a cab company.
1: Oh, that's how that
2: that became to be. So
1: I figured it was because these guys didn't make enough and they had to have other jobs like. Driving a taxi. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> interesting. Okay, that's crazy. Yeah, very interesting I'll stuff. There.
0: Well, Dusty, I mean, have you obviously through your research did you find out anything else about Arthur Mickey McBride or anything else that he's done besides with the Browns organization or you know? do we, do we know <laughs> well, what he did I, beyond that? I did. Oh, um,
2: apparently, in 1951, he testified before the Senate Crime Investigating Committee which questioned his continental press service, which was a nationwide distributor of racing news. And he apparently also had alleged ties to organized crime. So uh, we we, we just can't get away from owners that are a little bit questionable, let's say.
1: He's tied to the mafia? Just whitewash that one away.
2: Not not sure about that one. He he was never charged, so.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, Dusty, I think there's a guy outside your door that's talking about cement shoes right now. there might be there yeah might be. okay oh my well
0: All Dusty. Right. uh another interesting lesson uh certainly this one about the uh gentleman that helped form the cleveland browns organization arthur mickey mcbride from 1945 thank you very much dusty thanks guys
1: cleveland this is for you Misspeak of the week now, President Joe Biden at it again, talking about the price of gasoline and the advantages of renewable energy. He made an interesting claim about the amount of money families can save if they use renewable energy.
3: If your home is powered by safer, cheaper, cleaner electricity like solar or heat pumps, you can save about $500
1: a month on average. All right, let's, let's hear that one more time, just so we're clear. If your ben,
3: home is powered by safer, cheaper, cleaner electricity like solar or heat pumps, you can save about $500 a month on average.
1: All right, now, Ken, how much is your energy bill each month? Uh, I'm going to say probably around $100. $100? Yeah. Well, the average bill isn't anywhere close to $500 a month, so I don't know how we'd save that much. The White House did later clarify that the president meant to say the savings could be about $500 a year. Oh, okay. (laughs) A year. A true misspeak there. Yeah. A year, not a month. Just a little little technicality there. That's all right. Not a big deal. Yeah. That's the misspeak of the week.
0: Well, it's a time for us to take a look at our Cleveland calendar. And that, of course, I think we bring in Jennifer Brazovich. And Jennifer, big week for Cleveland as we have a new team that is having a new home opener coming up at the end of the week. That, of course, is the Cleveland Guardians. Talk about the festivities, the excitement. And, of course, you're going to bring us good weather. Is that correct? Is that what you're going to do?
4: Yeah, um, I wish that was in my job description, the, the bringer of good weather. Unfortunately, it is not <laughs> Um, But so far, you know, I'm keeping an eye on the forecast because I have tickets for Friday night. So it looks like it could be a little breezy, but I don't see any rain yet right now. Knock on wood. Um, So it should be a a great night for the Cleveland Guardians to kick off their inaugural season. Um, They'll be welcoming back local baseball fans to progress the field this Friday for the home opener. Um, Of course, they've been on the road already this season with uh, mixed results so far this year. Uh, But hopefully we'll we'll bring home a win on Friday night for that game. Um, 20 games on the schedule between Friday and the end of May at Progressive Field. So plenty of chances to catch the Guardians in action this spring. Um, all of the excitement starts early in the day. I mean, we're, we're used to having day games here for the home opener, but it's going to be pretty exciting to have it at night this year. Um, gates open at 530, I believe, but I'm sure if you come downtown before that, you'll see plenty of excitement happening in and around Progressive Field. Um, Tom Hanks is throwing out the first pitch. You know, I lobbied for you guys to throw out the first pitch, but my application got denied. So unfortunately, we'll just have to settle for Tom Hanks instead. Appreciate that. Um, Yeah, yeah. So so that's Friday. Um, And then if you're in the baseball spirit this weekend, um, I got to tell you guys, head over to the Huff neighborhood and check out League Park. Um, I mentioned this because I was just there last week and I got to see it firsthand last week. It's just so cool. It was the site of the 1920 World Series. That's where the Indians won their first ever championship. Um, and over in the, uh, renovated ticket office, they have the baseball heritage museum. They've got a lot of really cool stuff on display that, um, as we're welcoming baseball season back here to Cleveland, some really cool stuff to see it's open Thursdays through Sundays, definitely worth a visit free admission. They do ask for a donation just to kind of cover the the cost of keeping it in operation. Um, but yeah, if you're going to the game Friday or if you're watching it at home and then you're in the baseball spirit throughout the rest of the weekend, um, that's a really cool place to stop as well.
1: What, besides the home opener, once we get past Friday and we've got, you know, some baseball uh, underneath our belts, what are some other fun things Is the, uh, can you do something, can the
4: weather break here, please? You know, I, I hope so, and, you know, spring's in the air, I'm hoping that we'll we'll see the spring weather start to stick around, as we're talking today, it's beautiful out, uh, you know, throughout the week I think we're going to be up and down, so who knows, Um But, you know, spring is a great time to get out, just rediscover what Cleveland has to offer. Um, Of course, those April showers bring May flowers, as we've heard. We've had plenty of April showers already this month. Um, But uh, Lakeview Cemetery's Daffodil Hill is about to be in full bloom. There's three acres of flowers over there. So great way to get out and enjoy the warm weather um, once we have it and once it sticks around. Um, University Circle over at the Wade Oval will be in, in full bloom soon. They've got cherry trees over there. They've got other blooming trees. Um, And of course, on those rainy days, the Cleveland Botanical Garden is also a good chance to kind of take in the spring blooms because they do have indoor locations. Um, And they're also going to have 600 newly emerged butterflies flying about the Costa Rica biome in one of their glass houses. Um, So even on those rainy days, uh, it's a good chance to get out and and experience the spring weather here in Cleveland. Um, We're coming up on Easter, big holiday on Sunday, even bigger holiday on Monday here in Cleveland. Do you guys know what it is? Dingus Day. Dingus Day. My, the, the Polish host gets it. Yes. Dingus Day on Monday. A Polish tradition takes place every year the Monday after Easter. Um, it's definitely one of our more unique cultural celebrations here in Cleveland, but it's going to be a really good time. Um, this year's celebration is over at Gordon Green. And um, if you've never learned to polka, now is your chance. Get out there on Monday. They'll be happy to teach you um plenty of tasty polish food all of the pierogi and kielbasa you could possibly imagine just in case you you don't get your fill during easter dinner on sunday um live entertainment all day it all culminates with the crowning of miss dingus day 2022 in the evening this is you know a very coveted title here in cleveland are you you gonna stash uh, dingus day are you i am i'm not this year you know i'm gonna study up i'm hoping to submit for next year
1: okay all right (laughs)
4: yes (laughs) Just for the entertainment factor of it all. Um, You you get a sash, you get a sausage crown, you get to ride on a float that has pierogies on it. You get to carry the title of Miss Dingus Day all year round. Um, Winners have to wow the crowd with their true Polish spirit. So it's things like showing off your polka skills, um, reciting a haiku about Dingus Day, eating five pierogi as fast as possible. That's where I think I can really dominate next year if I'm entered into the competition. (laughs) I really think that's, that's where my sweet spot is. Okay. Um, so, so that should be pretty fun on Monday. Um, get over there, you know, after, after Easter is over, we celebrate Dingus day here in Cleveland. It is one of the more unique traditions we have, but it's sure to be a good time.
0: Oh, absolutely. So when I recover from Dingus day, listening to all the wonderful things for, actually DJ Kishka was on our podcast mm-hmm. one time who actually is oh. one of the People that got he's like the one Dingus of the stars started. of
4: Dingus Day.
0: Yeah, he was the originator. Yeah. Once I've recovered from Dingus Day, what are some of the other things? Maybe the next couple of weeks that we can really highlight and look for.
4: Yeah, um, tons of festivals coming back on the on the calendar this year. A lot of spring events happening. Um, Cleveland Asian Festival will be happening next month. That's in the Asia Town neighborhood, May twenty first and twenty second this year. So lots of um, celebrating of the Asian culture over there. Some delicious food. Um, some cultural performances, plenty of family-friendly activities. Um, there's a dance competition and a Colors of Asia fashion show for that this year as well. Um, Memorial Day weekend, we have Tremont Greek Fest. So again, if you're looking for some cultural food, that's the place to be. The food is the star over there. Um, all of the baklava you could, you could possibly handle over there um, and some Greek traditions happening there, Memorial Day weekend. Um, and then coming up this summer, we've got Pride in the CLE is returning to an in-person festival for the first time since 2019. That's gonna be June 4th on Mall C and C. So it's gonna be a really big celebration this year. Um, also on Mall C, Juneteenth Freedom Festival returns this year in June. That's gonna be June 18th this year. Um, and that's a celebration of the emancipation of slaves here in America. And then a little later in June, Tri-C Jazz Fest will be back at Playhouse Square for an in-person um, celebration this year. So Plenty of stuff to do over the next few weeks. Uh, plenty of cultural food to, to experience. Um, I will make a shameless plug that Destination Cleveland just launched our international restaurant passport. If you go to yeah. thisiscleveland.com slash passport, that's another great way to experience the cultural cuisine here in Cleveland. Um, a lot of really cool stuff happening. And, and I think it's going to be an exciting spring and summer here in Cleveland.
1: You know, Jen, I just had a doctor's appointment and my doctor told me my cholesterol was 268. You're not helping. <laughs> So not gonna this is not gonna bring that down. That's your I'm sorry. I'm sorry,
4: Ted's doctor. I take no responsibility. The, the views expressed here do not do not <laughs> represent those of Ted's medical yeah. <laughs> yeah. medical professionals. Right. right. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. Jen,
0: thank you so much for the time. One more time. If people want to find out about these events or anything else going on in Cleveland, where do they go to find this out?
4: Head to this is Cleveland.com. Um, There's an events page there. There's a bunch of information about different restaurants and businesses here in Cleveland. And you can learn about all the different neighborhoods here in Cleveland, too. So if you're looking to um, explore Cleveland this summer, this spring, summer, see something that you haven't seen before, that's the place to be.
0: Jen, as always, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Said we were out and about once again. Mm. Basically spending money in the Cleveland area. That's maybe what we should call this. Just spending money in the Cleveland area. Spending money in Cleveland with Ken Dworzny. See, we had a lot of different places we went to, a lot of the same places, but uh, I'll go with a couple highlights. Oh, please. Uh, first of all, I went to Gormley's. Have you Are you familiar with Gormley's? It's a no, pub no. in Rocky River on Center Ridge. Long story short, I don't... I struggle sometimes. I think, you know, this I was April Fooled. So on the Gormley's homepage, they said that they had a light, creamy Guinness. Well, I was one of many different people that was looking to experience the light, creamy Guinness. And people actually waited in line for almost two hours to get this. And of course, it doesn't exist. Yeah. So I did have another wonderful Guinness, but During my time there, obviously I was not alone. Anyone was joining me. We uh, sat at the bar, and I had another type of Guinness, which was really good. And I noticed the gentleman next to me looked really familiar. That gentleman's name is Pat Shepard. He was performing there that night. And funny story is that as I'm sitting next to Pat, he's asking how the podcast is going. I said it's actually going very well. He goes, "Oh, okay." Well, he goes, "I actually know Ted because his parents." and him, along with my family, lived on the same street How in Westlake. How about Isn't that? Crazy? Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Classic. Yep. yep. No idea. I've known Pat from high school and we were in the same class and he was a wrestler. Actually, his cousin, Kevin Berry was there as well. And I, but I never knew that. I thought that was a great story. Grew up in the musical streets in the
1: Westlake area.
0: So he says hello, by the way. Oh, he listens. Well we hello. do need to have hello, him hello, on at Pat. some point. In time. Hope you're
1: doing we, well. Yeah, we got
0: to get him on. We got to have him talk about the music that he plays. So his favorite song, this favorite song that I asked him to play that day. My dingy. There (laughs) you go. Good stuff. My dingy. A few other places we went to went to PRW. Have you been to PRW a
1: long time ago?
0: Yes. Very nice place. I had a gift card from a very nice friend that gave that to me. The food there is good. I will tell you this. The view to see downtown is Awesome. Fabulous. I mean, you yep. can't you can't beat that. That was that yep. was really cool. Yep. Then I went back and I just mentioned this went to Forest City Brewery, went on a Friday night and they have the saddest happy hour in Cleveland on Friday nights. And oh, the reason it, that is, is because week. well, that and also because Justin Gorski, DJ Kishka, who was on our show, yep. has this group called Big Hoke and they play there. Let me tell you, if you've never gone to this, you have to do it. It is outstanding. Justin's very talented. At the end of the night, I had an opportunity to talk to him a little bit. He just takes requests from people in the crowd. What do you want to hear? Billy Joel. So he starts playing Billy Joel.
1: Elton John.
0: It's like, you got to be kidding me. Wow. And then, this is the best part. He played Hey Jude from the Beatles on his accordion. Oh I, I can't make this up. It's, it's pretty impressive. So. Wow. Those are the highlights of my being out and about, Ted. I must say, you contacted me yes, and you I said did. you wanted to be part of this segment.
1: I did. You were also
0: with the family
1: out and about. I want out to hear and about, about yes, yes. Because uh, God knows I'll never be out and about on my own, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> or at least not for another ten or fifteen years. But nonetheless, we went to a Cleveland Charge game. That's the oh uh, NBA. Okay. What is it? G League, I think. Yes, whatever it is. Yes, Uh, minor league for the Cavs. They play over at the Wolstein Center and uh, they had a decent crowd. And, uh, you know, it was an entertaining game. Um, They struggle. Uh, The team does. They're they're not the best, but um, and they have a guy on the team who's seven foot five. Taco, taco. Yeah, taco. He didn't play because I think he's getting called up to the Cavs for the playoff run.
0: Yeah, they got a lot wow. of players
1: that go up and down. So, yeah, so, uh, but an interesting, you know, it was, it was, it was fun. Uh, kids had a good time, got to make uh, signs and got bobbleheads and things like that. So, yeah, so we were out and about at the Cleveland Charge game. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Ted, we'll just continue to be out and about. Maybe at one point in time, we could be out and about together. I think that would be very enjoyable for both of us. Once again, we're just supporting Cleveland and spending money
1: time for another Cleveland history lesson and our Cleveland historian John Grabowski is back with us John today we're going to talk about a a landmark that unfortunately has uh, uh gone away used to be on uh Euclid Avenue there the Cleveland Athletic Club what a place that used to be and just went out, kind of was a victim of the expansion of uh, Euclid Avenue and the RTA line, but in its day, what a place that was. Yeah,
3: it it was, you know, and that goes into, as I usually say, it goes into a really long history because in the uh, late 19th century, about the 1880s or so, a lot of major cities uh, created athletic clubs and uh, they were very, very exclusive places. And, you know, one of the ones that, that you might know is uh, the New York Athletic Club. Hmm, sure. And New York Athletic Club used to run the biggest amateur track meet in the nation for many years, the NYAC. And there's a long story there, but athletics was becoming fashionable. Uh, something that men wanted to do. And, and Cleveland got on the bandwagon, really. Uh, it's in 1886. Uh, actually, uh, 1886, there was an earlier athletic club. There's no direct descent that was started in Cleveland. It was also on Euclid Avenue. Uh, and then by around 1891, it moved to a new clubhouse and, and had about 500 members by, by 1892. So there was an a- athletic club before this. But the one that we're looking at now was, was established by uh, some very important people in Cleveland, uh, Charles Otis, William Baker, and, and Albert H. Baker. And uh, the Bakers are part of Baker Law Long Car Company. And what they did then is exactly they, they, they decided to uh, build a new athletic club on Euclid Avenue now. That area at Euclid, uh, just to the uh, east of 9th Street, where the club is on the uh, south side of the street, uh, those that used to be part of the mansions on Euclid Avenue, but that was being developed into Playhouse Square. And uh, in 1911, this building was finished, 15 stories. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, they had a three-story gymnasium near the top. It had a swimming pool, had a restaurant, and... Uh, these clubs were not just physical workout clubs. These were a place where guys went to make business connections, to schmooze. They had parties, they had events there. Uh, The club was like almost all the others, almost all white. Uh, Women would come in periodically. There's a story, Chicago had a fabulous women's athletic club, one of the most elegant buildings in Chicago, but that's another story. Let's get back to Cleveland. So this, this was a place, you know, on that upper Euclid Avenue area that was was growing up and uh, and really and it had overnight rooms for people staying there. Um, and wow. so it became a site for parties, events. The New Year's parties there were legendary. Uh, the events uh, was one of the places that you stopped into after the annual St. Patrick's Day parade where you could continue your libation if you wanted to at there. Uh, But by the uh, 1960s and 70s, particularly the 70s and 80s, uh, that area of downtown was beginning to go to seed a bit. Uh, It was, uh, you know, the population was dropping in downtown Cleveland, but the club soldiered on. It actually didn't close, I think, until 2008. Uh, They they literally ended up being bankrupt. And they were putting improvements into the club all the way into 2008. I was never in there, but the stories I've read about, it just say it's a fabulous place. Dark woodwork, uh, the swimming pool, which is still there, but it's been made shallower. It used to be a nine foot deep pool. Swimming pool entertained a guy named Johnny Weissmuller in 1922. <laughs> and Weissmuller sent a, set a record for the backstroke in that pool. Uh, so, it's, you know, so if you were anybody, a business person in Cleveland, you had a guest coming in, you'd take him to the athletic club. It was a very well, was a manly atmosphere. At at one point, according to one story I read, there was a private dining bar where the guys would dine on natural. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh,
1: boy. Yeah.
3: Okay. Wow. So, you know, so there are all sorts of stories there. And uh, I guess, you know, what it is now, the building has become the Athlon, uh, the athlethon, I think that's the name of it. It's, it's a new apartment building. Uh, and that three-story gymnasium at the top of the club is a three-story high work area, just wide open with some apartments there. The pool, as I mentioned, is still there, uh, but it's it's doing what a lot of other older buildings in Cleveland are doing. It's being rehabbed and turned into a new residence area. And it's pretty remarkable because when the club closed in 2008, if I have that date right, yes, I do, uh, essentially it it Basically, they left everything on the table. It was never cleaned up. There was no nobody doing any maintenance. So by the time it was taken over for rehab, the roof had been leaking. Uh, it needed a lot of work. Uh, the terracotta front had needed a lot of work. The building was designed by uh, Dyer, who was the uh, designer, uh, very noted architect of Cleveland. He did the uh, Cleveland City Hall, Milton Dyer. So yeah, it's there's a lot of links to Cleveland, but it's you know it's a creature of the 1910s and 1920s and I've said before those were the decades when this city was really really booming sure. John we uh, we have a lot of younger people that certainly uh, listen to our
0: podcast and obviously I'll ask this question on behalf of them so when you hear the term Cleveland Athletic Club you're thinking of a workout facility and you mentioned about a swimming pool and also like a gymnasium but that wasn't the main gig there. That was more of a social club, correct That's the sure. type of club you would go to as you mentioned going out to dinner and things like that. The yeah. question that I have was this open to men and women? I mean could women be members of this or was it just men and they could have women join them for certainly was, all the different parties?
3: It was just men and they could have women join um, okay and I think there were, you know first woman member I came to someplace you know walked into this male bastion, uh, they were trying, as, as membership went down, the club was making efforts to broaden its membership, was even advertising memberships for students at CSU across the street.
5: Okay.
3: So it was making a real effort uh, in the 1980s, 1990s, and into the 2000s to, to try to boost the membership. And uh, supposedly, till the day it closed, they were still investing in the club. They just happened to have emptied the till. And uh, that, that was about it.
1: Well, it certainly was a place where the elite, uh, met to eat, so to speak, uh, yeah. Cleveland athletic club, quite a history, unfortunately, uh, not, not, it's still kind of there, but under a different name and, uh, but a lot of good history there and a lot of good information from you, John, we appreciate your time.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's funny. I'm teaching a sports history class this year. So, uh, We've been talking about private athletic clubs, and this one fits into it.
1: (laughs) Very good. Well, thank you for the history lesson. I I hope we can pass when, uh, when the grades come out. Okay, great. Thanks. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. news, you you really need this news, Ken, so pay attention now. I will. Uh, That slap that uh, Will Smith hit Chris Rock with at the Oscars, it continues to hog headlines, and it's not stopping anytime soon. Several tattoo artists around the country say that people are now coming in to get that moment immortalized on their bodies. (laughs) One tattoo artist from the New York area, was at a British radio station for a segment on the weirdest thing he's been asked to do at work. He thought the idea was hilarious. You going to get a tattoo of Will Smith uh, uh, slapping uh, Chris Rock?
0: Yeah, he I'm going to get that on my lower back. That's <laughs> where I'd get it. Oh, the no lower back
1: to. tattoo. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I like that. That's good. Okay. In Florida, Broward County Circuit Judge Elizabeth Shearer was trying to see 12 jurors last week when one juror offered an interesting reason why she should be excused.
4: So you said that the July, there's dates in in, in July that you're not available. What are those dates? July 7th,
1: July 4th,
4: which is closed, and July 18th. But then again, I need to figure out something. I have my sugar daddy that I see every day. I'm sorry? My sugar daddy. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what you're
1: talking about, but... Well, I'm married, and I have my my sugar daddy. I see him every day. All right, ma'am, we'll come back. Come on! (laughs) I can't serve on the jury. I've got my sugar daddy. Oh, man. Wow. Whew. Well... Can honesty is the best policy. Absolutely. I mean, you couldn't make that up. That's she is married but has commitments with her sugar daddy. The woman <laughs> ultimately, by the way, was dismissed from being oh. a potential juror. Oh, oh man. man. <laughs> the Atlanta Braves have a special burger on sale at their ballpark to celebrate their 2021 World Series title. The burger includes lots of fancy ingredients like Wagyu beef, oh, uh, pan-fried eggs, Foie gras, lobster tail, Tillamook cheddar cheese, truffle aioli, and an heirloom tomato. Wow. Comes with a side of Parmesan waffle fries and a replica of the 2021 World Series ring. The cost? $151. Oh. Now that's referring to the 151 years that the Braves have been around. However, Ken, that is not the most expensive burger in the park. That title goes to the version of the burger that uh, replaces the replica ca- re- replica ring with a limited-edition championship ring. That burger and the ring can be yours for just thirty-three grand. Oh, let's sign up. I'm all yeah. in. Boom.
0: Life savings. Let's put it towards the I, ring. I'm already on GoFundMe to, to get that. Oh, that's right.
1: We've yeah. GoFunded a lot
0: for you, to be honest. Yeah, let's right. just transfer yeah. it over. That's true. Sure. Sure.
1: Staying in baseball, Friday was National Beer Day, which I'm sure you're aware of.
0: Yeah, I partake.
1: The idea behind it is to celebrate the day a law went into effect in 1933 that allowed the brewing and sale of beer up to 4% alcohol by volume. Friday was also opening day for the Arizona Diamondbacks, hosting the San Diego Padres. The D-backs trailed 2-1 in the bottom of the ninth with two men out. I'm sorry, with two men on, when rookie Seth Beer, that's his name, Seth Beer, came to the plate. Seth Beer, fly ball, right field,
2: it's National Beer Day! Good night, everybody!
1: Oh, you couldn't have scripted it any better. Seth Beer wins it on opening night. That audio from Valley Sports, the guy named Beer hits the walk-off, game-winning, three-run homer on National Beer Day.
0: So who's sponsoring him? I mean, who's jumping on board with this? Miller Lite, Coors Light, Bud Light. Somebody's got to jump on board with this. I mean, that
1: is Uh, just, what a story that is. You can make that up. I don't know, but I'll drink to that. I agree. Friday was also Dog Farting Awareness Day. I hope they didn't combine these events. It's annually celebrated on April 8th. What did you say? Well, what? It's celebrated annually on April 8th? Oh, I
0: thought you said something I else. I thought I missed Keep thought
1: there. Okay. Nice. The highlights uh, include uh, what a canine's gas-passing habits say about the animal's health. Dog Farting Awareness Day began on social media in 2014, with places like the Animal Rescue League of Iowa and the Heritage Humane Society in Virginia spreading the word, hopefully that's all they spread, with uh, memes and hashtags. The idea is to share tips about canine digestive health. So you've got uh, the Rue there. Did you celebrate Dog Farting Awareness Day with Rue on Friday?
0: Once again, I can't combine all these v- events together. I was too busy celebrating National Beer Day, so sure. we opted not to.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we'll pass along. Not, well, we'll not pass anything else as we close up this week's collection of Klop's Clips. <laughs>
5: Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Blah blah
4: blah. Blah
3: blah blah. Blah
0: blah
1: blah. Our guest today is an author. She has written fifteen books. That alone is an achievement. But when you consider she's only fourteen years old, she's written more than one book for every year she's been alive. <laughs> so let's talk with Shanti Hershinson. Shanti, thanks for your time. So. How did you get involved in becoming an author?
5: So being an author was always something I really wanted to do. However, I kind of realized it was something I could actually do like now instead of as an adult um, when I was in the sixth grade. And it was actually an accident. I didn't actually mean to publish a book. Um, what had happened? I'd written this. I don't want to say book with my friend. It was a novella. Um, I guess it is a book. And I wrote it with my friend and we, we just really wanted to get it printed. And in doing so, I went online and researched all these different options, all these different printers, and, and ended up uploading a, the book to something called KDP. Little did I know as I was doing it, that was to publish it. Um, that was to self-publish it. And um, by the end, I had realized it and I was like, you know what, let's do it. And I did. And that book did not... It wasn't, didn't sell much, sold probably like 10 books. Um, but it kind of paved the way and gave me more opportunities later on to then publish a bunch of books. I've currently published nine books and I'm going to publish my 10th very, very soon. It's already up for pre order. And I think that was the beginning. However, all these new books are so much better.
1: So, so you said you've published 10 books. Are there five that have not been published? Is that what where we get to fifteen? Yes. Okay. All right. And actually, I correct. Oh, Good. Yeah,
5: it's technically sixteen. I have oh. one more book that I just I want to finalize it a little more before I actually count it because I'm not sure if I'm gonna end up publishing it. So I technically haven't added it to my backlog okay. yet. Yeah.
1: All right. So you said you accidentally or or just with a friend decided to publish write this book. And then you accidentally publish it. Yeah, Is pretty that, much. Yeah, pretty much. I yeah. wish I could accidentally do things like that. So, what's the subject matter of these books? Are these works of fiction? Are they mystery? Are they a bunch of different things? Tell us about the books.
5: So, I'd say the majority of my um, novels, at least, are written in the dystopian genre. I will try to write other genres, and somehow I'll put a sci fi spin on it, and it'll just end up being this dystopian story. Um, So Biomlock, the first ever novel I wrote, which was in the middle of the pandemic, is an alien invasion story. It actually takes place 30 years after an alien invasion. And that was the first dystopian novel I ever wrote and the first novel I ever wrote. Um, For context, I thought it was just going to be like a 20,000 word novella, which I've done, except it kind of ended up being 800 pages long, the first draft in like 250,000 words. But that's too long for a book. And that's not really publishable (laughs) and readable. So what I ended up doing actually was I split it into three books. Now it's a trilogy. The first book, which is a lot shorter, was published in August, and the other two—they're actually significantly longer than the first one—are um, scheduled to release very soon. They, they still need a lot of editing.
1: Still need a lot of editing. Who does the yeah. editing? Do you? Does your mom? Does your dad? Do you have? Um,
5: I start off by um, doing a few rounds of editing, and then I hand—I hand it over to someone else. To edit because I can't edit myself. I am really not good at editing honestly (laughs) i i will sit down and i will start reading it and i will forget that i'm editing and instead just read my story and be like oh my gosh this is so cool and completely skip over everything
1: (laughs) all right so do you have a favorite book that you've written so far i know frequently authors will say oh my books are like my children i can't have a favorite do you have a favorite
5: (sighs) probably currently um the one i'm working on right now i don't have a printed copy of Okay. is one I actually would want to reread. Um, it's called Never Dying. I'm thinking of writing a sequel for it. And uh, that one is very much like probably going to become my favorite. Uh-huh. Um, currently, as for printed or published books, my favorite is this one. You won't know her name. This is my most popular book. I didn't expect it to be popular. I just kind of published it as another book. Like, I, didn't, I just wanted to publish it for myself and uh, it kind of blew up, and now it's my most popular book. Now I have to deal with it on a day-to-day basis. It's my most annoying child. I love it.
1: (laughs) Now, are any of these books, uh, do you take life experiences to uh, uh, draw from for any of these books? Like you mentioned, Most Annoying Child. Do you have a a friend or someone that we probably don't want to name that uh, inspired you in that way.
5: Yes. uh, For this (laughs) book, um, this entire book is based on true story. It's a very sad book. It's a very disturbing book. It's based Uh on um, how my sister and I were bullied in the sixth grade. Actually just a pretty much just a straight up retelling of it just with no names. It's Uh um, it's a very, I want to say it's a very interesting book. Honestly, it's not that disturbing after the first 65 pages then it gets to kind of the aftermath of everything. And then like how the character is healing uh, the first 65 pages are some of the most disturbing um, words I've ever written. Mm. However, I kind of have a like free pass out of um, people getting worried about it. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's just based on a true story. I didn't come up with this stuff. Someone else did. She already came up with it for me. And um, that usually gets me out of the, why did you write this at 13?
1: Uh-huh. Okay. So what do your parents and your, your siblings? What do or friends? Maybe even what, do, what do other people think of uh, this, this career that you've already got as a, an author?
5: Um, they're, they're all very surprised. Honestly, I was a little surprised too. Um, specifically with BiomLock, I didn't expect to publish it. I didn't expect to finish it. And all of these books I didn't expect to actually happen. So I'd say uh, my parents are very surprised that they're very supportive and, um, I usually don't actually let them read my books early. So um, they'll, they'll ask, they're like when can we read it? I'm like, when it's published. However, uh-huh. I do sometimes give them chapters to read in advance. However, I mostly um, choose my chapters in like what the last chapter is based on when a massive cliffhanger happens or a big plot twist happens. And then their free trial ends. They have to wait to find out what happened till the book is published.
1: Their free um, trial yeah. ends. I love it.
5: Yeah. And then my sister is a really big fan of my books too. I think she's read most of them. And yeah, I try to give her copies of them. I have, it's, a, I, I'm very disorganized. so I'll leave copies of my books all around the house and it's like a scavenger hunt when I need them for interviews and stuff. Um, but I usually try to keep um, a copy of one of my books for each of my family members to give or often I'll, when the book is not published, I'll order like two or three just to hand out.
1: Uh-huh. And yeah. Wow. Okay. So do you want to be an author when you grow up? Is this one hundred percent? Yeah.
5: Yeah. Okay.
1: What What about uh, do you do you or do your parents? What about grades and schoolwork? I mean, being an author isn't something that takes five minutes. Do you have to? Uh, okay, I have to get my schoolwork done before I spend an hour writing on this book. Or how does do you manage that? Do your parents have to help you? What's the deal there?
5: So usually I'm pretty good about managing my schoolwork at my current school. I don't have that much. So right now it's kind of like I'll write and then do my work. And usually the work won't take up like too much time. Um, sometimes I'll have to go to office hours to complete it, or sometimes I'll just have to ask my teacher. Actually, um, right now I'm kind of struggling with keeping up <clears throat> writing and schoolwork. I just well, I had um COVID and I was out all week oh. and I've just got back yesterday, okay. and it's so chaotic trying to get back. I, I thankfully I was able to do some of my schoolwork, so it's not terrible. But just catching up everything and being used to doing school has just been like insane.
1: I bet. Well, I'm glad to hear you're doing uh, okay after yeah, COVID you. here. Now, here's a, a question: uh, Your grade in reading or English? What do you get in that in that in that subject?
5: Usually, very high marks. Uh-huh. Um, okay. It's like the only reason my grade would drop is if I like forgot to turn something in or I was absent and missed something. Generally, I do really well. I'm trying to think about my English tests. Usually I get like 100% on them.
1: Okay, so, good. Yeah. I would hope so.
5: Yeah. And uh, in, in terms of reading, I've mostly scored... I think I've scored like real... I don't remember my math, my math test score. It was a above yeah, average a little. That's all right. Yeah. I feel okay. like I could do better in it. Though,
1: oh, but. well, that's, that's a good... Yeah. Uh, Good to have goals, right? Yeah. Now, when you're not uh, doing schoolwork and not writing, are you writing for the school newspaper? Are you playing volleyball? What What do you do for fun?
5: I actually used to um, write for my school's newspaper years ago, and actually, I'm fourth grade Um, now. Usually, I was about to say I read, but I feel like that's very obvious that I'd be reading when I was not writing. Uh, I got to think of. I got to broaden my horizons a little. Um, Often, I do just play with my cats like a lot. <laughs> I don't know if you can see there is one in the corner and there is another one in here, but I don't know where he is. How many do there, you have? Um, we have three cats. Two of them are in this room with me right now. I have one. He's just like right next to me. And the other one is very high up on that shelf. And then we have a third cat. She actually um is very, very old and um does not do well with these two because they are very chaotic and they're just very stressful to be around for a very old cat. So she actually um, lives up in my parents' room permanently. But she comes down sometimes and she has um, the balcony to herself. So uh-huh. she pretty much runs the place.
1: And does uh, do any of the cats, have they inspired any stories, uh, any books?
5: Yes. Um, sure. Back in elementary school, actually, all of the little books and stories I would write had a cat in them and it was usually one of my cats. I could not write without putting my cat in it. I don't know why I just couldn't. Or I would, if I couldn't think of a main character, I would just make myself the main character. So I've like found a bunch of um, these really, really kind of good and like with really good thoughts and good stories. However, I am the main character in every single one and it's really <laughs> painful to read. Uh-huh. I have every single power imaginable and I have a talking cat.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
5: The cat always gets to talk.
1: All right. All right, so you're reading. Do you what about uh, like Roblox or Minecraft? Do you do any of that stuff?
5: Yes, I do play Minecraft with my sister a lot.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, if folks want to find your books or find, learn more about you, I know you have a website uh, tell us where they can buy your books and find out more.
5: Um, so all of my books are available on amazon.com. Um, if you want to get the links to them, actually I have to update my website, my website like the web, the website I edit my website on was being weird. So I haven't been able to update it in a while. Um, but my website is shantihershenson.com, S-H-A-N-T-I-H-E-R-S-H-E-N-S-O-N.com. Um, most of my books are available on other retailers. If you don't really like Amazon, you can find the hardcovers for You Ought Her Name and another book, The Accidental Insurgent, on uh, Barnes & Noble. And if you look um, on your local bookstore's website, they should have it. I cannot guarantee in person. There are a few bookstores, actually, that have these in person now. But if you look on their website, there's a chance you can um, order them into your store.
1: Awesome. Wow. Well, you seem to have it all together here. You're an author and uh, you're doing well in school. It sounds like, uh, sounds like I need to get my act together here. I don't know. But yeah. uh, very impressive. Congratulations on the work so far. And we'll, uh, we'll pay attention to uh, the upcoming books. And uh, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll catch up with you again down the road and see how things are going.
5: All right. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Good news, Ken. LaCudra Edwards buying a lottery ticket from a vending machine at Vons Supermarket in Tarzana, California. When she says some rude person bumped into her and she pushed the wrong button on the, on the lottery vending machine. She wound up with a $30 scratcher's ticket that she didn't want to buy. Now, the person didn't say a word as they left the supermarket, the guy who bumped her. Later, Edwards was driving on the freeway when she realized the unwanted ticket was a winner, a $10 million winner. Oh, my gosh. Says she nearly crashed her car, and she now plans to buy a house and start a nonprofit. Oh, that's nice. I like that. What if she tracked that guy down and said nanny, nanny, boo, boo? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, definitely, at least for her, some good news.
5: Oh, no, not a dad. joke!
0: I'm reading a book about anti-gravity.
1: Oh, yeah. How, How is it?
0: It's impossible to put
1: down.
5: That joke was horrible.
1: Ken, we're coming to the end of episode 86 here, and we talked about Dingus Day with Jen Braznovich from Destination Cleveland. So I decided to call up the requirements or the the form in case you know anybody, any young ladies who might want to apply to be Miss Dingus Day 2022. I have a host of people. So this yeah. is great. Thank you. I'll, I'll okay. just run through the uh, okay. the requirements here. You need your name, phone number, email, age, nationality, obviously. Wow. Current nice. Cleveland neighborhood, current city or Cleveland neighborhood. And then how do we know you are Polish? I guess they don't right. take your word for it. I don't know.
0: No, maybe they're have doing it. Have you applied to be
1: Queen before? Oh. If so, when? What is your favorite polka song and why? Ken, do you have a favorite polka song? Who stole the Kishka? And why?
0: Because Baja told her.
1: Okay. Where do you go to polka and how often? Anywhere. Usually
0: in my house. And sometimes I poke it at the bathroom. Okay. Tell us about your pierogi making skills. Me, myself, not existent. I'm very good at eating them, not just preparing.
1: Besides making pierogies, what are your other Polish cooking specialties? Oh, pigs in a
0: blanket would be good. Chanina, which is duck blood soup. So those would be in the mix.
1: Tell us about any special Polish holiday traditions from your family. Hmm,
0: Kielbasa, um, lamb butter, and I would probably say um, egg decorating. That's a big one, too. What does your favorite babushka look like? Tell us a story about it. That's sort of private, so I'm not really going to talk about my babushka right now, but maybe uh, if someone really wants to learn about it, they can oh
1: send me a direct message, but we're okay. not going to talk
0: about my babushka. Thank you. Do you
1: have any special talents we can exploit for the good of Polish pride, of course? Um, private as well. Yeah, fake names, I guess. I'm good at fake names, but that's not really a Polish thing. So. Okay. Why should we pick you, and what will you do throughout the year as queen, to spread polka cheer and Polish pride, I will make everyone's last name a Polish name. What would so, my last name, Polish last name, be? Klapinski. Klapinski. Got it. Klapinski. Yep. All right, then you got to upload a uh, a picture of yourself. No, no, I'm not doing you know, that. No one yeah. wants that. I definitely wouldn't win. You consent, and by submitting the application, you pledge to be available for appearances as the Dingus Day Queen when requested to do so, including but not limited to festivals, TV morning shows, and parades throughout the year. Wow. So, yeah. That's a pretty uh, good commitment, man. I do hereby agree to be available throughout the year to attend Dingus Day functions and exude the sweetness and cheeriness that only a Dingus Day queen can. I will also wear with pride the Miss Dingus Day prestigious Sausage crown and sash, whenever in public. I like this. Yeah, I get so that means stuff. if
0: I go to St. Bernadette's for mass, yes, you have to I wear. I have it. to wear the crown in this in the sausage. Yeah. Sash. Okay. What do you think,
1: Father Rocco would think of that?
0: Uh, not very well. So, <laughs> might not be invited to come back. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> Please pray somewhere
1: else. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, so, if you know anybody. That's uh, clevelanddingus.com is the website for that. Looking Cleveland forward dingus. to that. How many times can you say dingus in one podcast? As much as you
0: want. Dingus, dingus, dingus. There you go. Absolutely. Well, Ted, fun times. Once again, thanks to all our listeners. It's certainly an honor and a privilege to be one of the top 20 podcasts in Cleveland. And we we'll look forward to giving you more craziness and goofiness in, in two weeks. But okay. one last thing I want to bring up. Oh, yes. Just want to remind everyone, we're just two middle-aged men in
3: Cleveland.
2: Two Middle-Aged Men in
3: Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions. Who stole
2: the Who stole the Who stole the Someone call the cop.